It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With Pete Sampson of The Athletic, I'm Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated. Tim O'Malley will be joining us here in Orlando later tonight on Thursday. Notre Dame is in the process of finishing up their last actual practice. They'll have a walkthrough. To the chagrin of Iowa State, which tried to enter the Camping World Bowl Stadium. Is that what they were trying yeah. to do? Yeah, I think there was a uh, schedule mix-up today. Uh, apparently there was. They got so, sent back to their buses. So uh, they may have been scrimmaging after <laughs> we we left uh, Camping World Stadium. But uh, Notre Dame-Iowa State, which will happen on Saturday. The big news out of Thursday's practice. I wasn't sure when I started the line of questioning whether Brian Kelly would actually admit that Tom Reese would be the the play caller, and then he acted like I was crazy for asking the question. But we needed something definitive from him, and it's no surprise that that Tom Reese will be the play caller. He will be in the press box. He will send down the plays through Brian Kelly, which I know people will have plenty to say about that, but Kelly said that he's not going to micromanage. He's just going to help uh, Reese strategically. Uh, If you're the head coach, it's something Pete, you and I were talking about that a little bit of micromanaging under the circumstances since Reese has never called a game before is probably in order. I think that's just managing. You know, it's before we were talking before Brian Kelly came out, I kind of wanted to ask him this earlier in the week. Like, why, why don't you call plays? Yeah. Like, you're the only one with experience doing it. So just get through this weekend. You do it. Doesn't that give you sort of the best chance to win? But the fact that he was quick to say, no, it's Reese, I, I never really got to that question because that. It was kind of one of those things where his belief is that I don't know if Tom Reese gives them the best chance without question to win the game, but it certainly gives Brian Kelly the best read on Tom Reese as a play caller, which is ultimately, I think, Notre Dame's takeaways from Saturday winning the game, while important, is probably third or fourth in the most interesting things about the weekend. Yeah, and considering the way apparently they've practiced this week, which, yeah. which we'll talk, we'll get into after this, uh, it hasn't been a great week of practice. And, um, you know, Brian Kelly said as much uh, and then talked to his team in a fairly stern fashion during the three periods we were on the, on the field that they needed to pick it up today and practice. So I don't think that's a very good sign. You know, Iowa State, there is going to be no lack of motivation with Iowa State playing Notre Dame for the first time. But let's finish up on the, the, the Tom Reese thing. And I, and I brought up to Brian Kelly about the – he often refers to the art and science of calling plays. I, I'm, I've i always been kind of fascinated by that because when you look at Tommy Reese, the science part he's got down. I mean, you knew he had that the science part down uh, as a player. Um, but the artistic part you don't really know until he gets into a game with live bullets and Brian Kelly admitted as much. I'm – I was interested to sort of hear Brian Kelly describe what he's looking for. I thought that the uh, the emphasis on repeating plays that worked, um, you know, you sort of use the you don't have to play with all the toys that you have on your call sheet. And that reminded me of, of when Chuck Martin was here. I think it was a coaching clinic uh, presentation that he gave where as a play caller you see, and he, he just like was mocking them, that have these huge laminated sheets 
with 372 plays on them, and the font is 6.5 Helvetica. <laughs> and he's just like, what Like, what are we doing here? You're going to call the plays? Like, You just need a few plays that work, and then you can play off of those, and that's your game plan. So I'm curious to see if Reese can sort of, I don't know, be disciplined enough not to be the guy that wants to call everything on the call sheet, um, that as soon as he finds something that works – he goes with it until uh, Haycock, Iowa State's defensive coordinator, figures out how to stop it. And then you find something else, and you go with that. Why is my sense that I think Reese will not be one that, that goes too deep in the playbook, especially it being his, his first time as a play caller? But I, my sense for him is not one of flamboyancy. It certainly wasn't as a player. No. Uh, and he didn't have the athleticism to be flamboyant as a player. And I, my sense is that it's going to be – not necessarily close to the vest because I don't think that you beat Iowa State's defense playing close to the vest. I think you got to have success running between the hashes, but you better get outside the hashes because I think that's where they're the most vulnerable. I think one of the things that maybe will help Reese is that this is going to be a heavy two tight end game plan, and there's less uh, exotic, funky stuff you can do when you're you're sort of condensing the field, right? Right. Um, you know the the adjustments and the changes I think are going to be a lot more motioning the tight ends, which is something Chip Long did a lot to give Ian Book a tell of what the defense is trying to do. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw three tight ends. Um, if they went in, thir- in 13 personnel where there's one back, three tight ends, and then Chase Claypool. Uh, I'm not, you know, Braden Lindsay is practicing with a little bit of a sleeve on his knee. Um, you know, Chris Fink, I think, has been very productive late. I would expect him to be healthy, but the 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 multiple tight end looks and you know Brian Kelly reference Brian Kelly's reference is actually multiple times during the week not just today when he was asked about I think Iowa State's use of multiple tight ends he's like oh yeah we do that a lot too um, and then today after before practice talked about um, I think you asked him about is about it a, the Big is, Twelve is it a three three five or a three five three and he's like that's definitely more of a three five three because you have to match up with Oklahoma. Um, but then you also got to match up with Kansas State, and I think Notre Dame's going to play this a lot more like Kansas State than they're than they would play it like Oklahoma would. Yeah, and I, I think, and we have a we are, we aren't going to if you followed us on our website, we aren't going to follow the normal question answer format that we we normally do with our podcast. But we will touch upon some of the questions that have been asked, and and um, you know, in terms of Notre Dame's offensive line against Iowa State's defensive line, I think Notre Dame has a significant advantage. I, I don't think that there, there's any any one of the three defensive line positions that, that stand out. It's at linebacker where they do a variety of things. Brian Kelly used a term that I've used, I think, in the last podcast, that they, they can morph into different things with that, that second rung of defense where you have safety-like players there that can drop back into coverage or can come up and, and support the run. I think the two tight end against this defensive line and the front in general is a is a very good way for Notre Dame to approach this yeah, game. Yeah, because if Notre Dame's in two tight ends, what does three five three become? It becomes like an, a very light eight man box. Good point. Where Tremble is running away from whoever Iowa State tries to put him, and Cole Komet is like not even being touched um, in in those kinds of passing situations. I think it. You know, maybe it makes the three-five-three work against Iowa State in some ways. Um, you know, and then of course, if you can if you can condense that down, if you sort of get Iowa State to sort of play hash to hash or numbers to numbers, 
then stick Chase Claypool out wide, you're you're sort of declaring how you're covering Chase Claypool before the snap of the ball. And then Ian Book can play off that because certainly it's Ian Book has no problem throwing one-on-one stuff, jump ball stuff to Chase Claypool the same way he did to Miles Boykin last year. And if that happens, then I think Notre Dame should be able to move the ball. But all, all of that requires Notre Dame to have had a good week of practice and to be locked in. And I'm not, I, I think you got the sense today and I've got the sense all week. I'm not totally sure if that's the case. I agree. And I want, I want to get into that after and make one more point. Brian Kelly talked about the Big 12 and that, you know, uh, Iowa State wasn't facing top 20 running games all season. That's just not what the Big 12 is made of. So I, I, to me, that's another another reason why Notre Dame's offensive front against their defensive front with double tight end is is a, a good approach. As but Oklahoma is fourth in the nation in yards per carry, though. Like, Oklahoma is fourth in the – yes, uh, yeah. And, but that, and Oklahoma State is 14th. Um, no, so there are top 20. Yeah, so, I mean, there's certainly <laughs> – there are teams you're going to run into in the Big 12. But, you know, that's that's Chuba Hubbard. At Oklahoma State. Yeah, in Oklahoma. And Oklahoma could score on anybody, Oklahoma's however they want. Maybe yeah. not LSU, but like anybody in the Big 12. They're one of the top running and passing games in the Correct. country. Yeah. As far as motivation, this was um, this was my concern all along. And uh, it seems like it has come to fruition on the practice field. There's nothing more frustrating as a coach than trying to convince talented young men that if you don't play well this is a team that can beat you. And a lot of times these talented young men at Notre Dame and some that I had an opportunity to coach in my life just don't want to listen to that. And it appears that they're practicing accordingly. Yeah. And this happens everywhere in bowl season. It's it's certainly not something unique to Notre Dame. Um, It's, you know, they were able to sort of just go out there and throw the balls out against Rutgers. And that was fine. You know, that's really the last bowl game I think that we've covered where the occasion or the opponent wasn't going to do anything no. for you. Um, LSU, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, um, those are opponents that make it easy to get up for. Iowa State is not that way. Um, I It was interesting, you know, Chris Fink came out for two minutes on Christmas Day and I asked him, you know, basically, like, what are the markers you're looking for that, like, all right, this team's locked in, or it's or it's not. And he's like, you know, yesterday's practice wasn't that good. Today has to be, you know, today's going to tell us a lot. Um, I would say, based on Brian Kelly's commentary before practice today, that the Christmas Day practice was not very good. Um, and that, that's got to be really alarming to Notre Dame. Um, and that's – it's. I sort of made fun of some people on Twitter who were like, oh, you know, letting the players go out. And and I don't think that's necessarily the root cause. Like, they're not going to play well or play poorly on Saturday because the players went out on Tuesday to midnight. That's fine. Like, you should be able to do – or Monday, I guess, it was the case, not Tuesday. Um, that's not going to be what decides this game one or the other. It's the whole month. Um, it's, it's Chip Long's departure at a weird time. It's, uh, you know, you have Cole Komet who I talked to today said he got a second round grade from second round grade from the advisory committee. Is this his last game? He's not sure now after saying, I'm going to come back. And again, it's fine. Players can change their mind. It's their, it's, it's, that's their prerogative, but there's just a lot of uncertainty um, beyond who's calling plays for Notre Dame, even though we know who it is. It's the first time with Tom Reese. 
I Notre Dame sort of mental edge, I think, is one of the things that Brian Kelly talks about. Yeah, I don't. This might this may rank very near the top of the worst mental edge situations that he's <laughs> been in as a head coach at Notre Dame. Yeah, because and, and Brian Kelly said today, and I've been saying it for the last month. Matt Campbell and his staff do a tremendous job of coaching this team. It's obvious when you watch their film that they're well coached because they're a little they're 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 at least good in everything that they do. Yeah, they, they throwing the ball in particular. They, yeah, they, now they haven't run it great, but they've had success because Brees Hall's a pretty good running back. If you don't if, if you don't square him up and you arm tackle him, he's going to run through it. They throw it really well. The three five three is interesting in that they do a pretty good job of stopping the run and defending the pass. They do they do both, uh, and that's why. You know, I mean, at three five three, it's problematic for Ian Book. It's certainly problematic for Tommy Reese. Yeah, and really, what we're talking about is like you only need one bad decision to ruin the game. Like they they only need one linebacker to drop into a zone where Book doesn't think he's going to drop, and he throws it to him in returns at the twenty yard mm-hmm. line to blow up the whole thing. Um, and that can happen to any that can quarterback happen to against a locked any... in opponent, right? Or a locked in right. Ian Book, um, a locked in offense, an offense with an offensive coordinator. No. Like, we're not really sure where Notre Dame is from that mentality right now. Okay. So, now having said all that, Notre Dame is still the better football yes. team. And if they do, if they come out focused, they should win this football game. I think it's important that they have success running between the tackles, which I think they will against that defensive front. That opens up some things for Tommy Reese to be more creative. Um, and then, you know, then on, on the flip side... I think Notre Dame can trust its pass defense enough that I mean they can they can focus on stopping the run because they have enough confidence in in what they do on the back end of the defense plus a pass rush that has been if not among the leaders in the nation in sacks is disruptive. Yeah, I I agree with all that. I don't think that uh, Iowa State's offensive line does anything for me i think i i like it i like it as a as a unit but i think that there are individuals that can be exposed in there i just and this is highly anecdotal from watching them walk into a arcade on thursday morning uh for a charity event but iowa state is not a great looking football team in in tracksuits um notre dame is a good looking group um some of those good looking guys are have their Ankles and boots like Julian O'Quara and Robert Hainsey and Tommy Kramer, Dalen Hayes. Um, you know, Notre Dame is, you're not getting the best of Notre Dame, whereas I think Iowa State is much sort of closer to to peak capacity. Yeah, they do, they do have four seniors on the offensive line, three returning starters. But I, I wrote, when I did the film review, I wrote something similar to that, <laughs> that they are not going to, if you, if you stood Notre Dame's offensive line next it's to their close. offensive line, it wouldn't look very good. No, and that's really with even without Okwara and Hayes. I mean, with Kareem, Ogundeje, Jameer Jones, um, you know, Myron Tagovailoa, and Kurt Heinish, I re- and Jason Adamillo as well. I I would expect Notre Dame's defensive front to play really well. I would expect their defense overall to play very well. There's there's nothing about Notre Dame's defense um, that would sort of make you hem and haw about, like, okay, is this unit going to play well or not? Um, that's offensively where Notre Dame has all the questions, and I think that's that's going to be a real challenge on Saturday. 
I think I think it's I think it's just interesting to look at the Iowa State offensive line because they they all, well I, th- to me I mean this is this accentuates the point of how well they're coached. Your comment about how the offensive line at Iowa State looks accentuates just how well coached this group is. And then you throw in the fact that you got a little bit of, you've got an unorthodox defensive approach with John Haycock, and so it makes it interesting. Notre Dame needs to come out and play good football. I know that there are a lot of people that want to put their head in the sand and say Iowa State sucks. They're seven and five. Don't tell me. Don't tell me that. You know that this is a good football team if they lost five games. Well, they lost by a point on a two point conversion where Brock Purdy had a guy open and threw to the wrong man, and they would have converted it. They lost on a field goal to Iowa with twenty seconds to go. They lost on field goal at Baylor with under five minutes to go. They're that close. Now I'm a big believer in. I you know the, the the old Bill Parcells you are what you are if you're seven and five you're seven and five I get that, but when you're Iowa State and you don't have as much talent as the Oklahomas, and and even the Oklahoma States and the West Virginias I mean teams mm-hmm. like that athletically although I do like their their receiving core is as good as as Notre Dame's it's deeper. Yeah, I mean I think it's one of those things where you know Iowa State who knows when they're going to turn the corner from seven and five, eight and four to maybe more of a nine and three. Right. Saturday could be Saturday could, that could happen. They could figure out the formula of like, ah, okay, this is what it takes to win close games. You know, it's not like Notre Dame hasn't had times where they've turned a corner and figured out how to do stuff. You know, the month of November, this season would be a good example of, did you see, Going into Virginia Tech, uh, a Notre Dame football program that was ready to be like, all right, we're just going to roll people the rest of the way. No. I mean, that's not how you felt coming out of Michigan, but that's what they showed. Who's to say that, you know, especially with Brock Purdy, still a pretty – he's experienced but young. He's got a ton of upside. Um, I mean, I think that for all – if you just went sort of player for player, you know, are are you going to – you know, Notre Dame's offensive line and defensive line clearly are superior to Iowa State. Is is Notre Dame clearly superior at quarterback? I wouldn't say so. No, I wouldn't say so. I don't. I don't think Purdy's got a very strong arm mm. at at all. But he's very resourceful. He's, he he makes something out of nothing. He successfully. The more I watched him, I'm like, okay, this guy keeps throwing off his back foot. He can't do that all season, <laughs> but he did. Yeah. Uh, he threw three interceptions in the last seven minutes against Oklahoma State as they were trying to make something happen, and he basically lost them the game in the last seven minutes because he kept getting picked. But that's the exception to the rule. I, I I agree with you. I mean, I think this is a real resourceful football player. He's about the same about the same size as as Book. Neither one has great size. Neither one uh, is probably going to spend a whole lot of time on the next level playing. Um, but yeah, he's certainly capable. They throw it a lot. He's going to throw it more than Ian Book uh, because they don't they don't usually run it very well, and I don't think they're going to run it very well against Notre Dame. So I see him throwing a good forty two passes plus. And he's got a good receiving. Overall, so we're all like that's if you're Notre Dame, you're like bring it. You know that's absolutely you yeah, would, no you absolutely prefer that kind no, of no absolutely. Approach. I mean, it's you look at this and you say it's strength versus strength, but you like Notre Dame's strength as a as a, a pass defense team over one that's going to, to to launch it 42 times. I like their receiving core. I love their tight end. Charlie Kohler's a good tight end. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that he's Cole Komet, but he's 6'6", and he makes all the plays. Yeah, it's just I, I, 
you wrote a story on Irish Illustrated about um, sort of kind of comparing your performances to the norm. Yeah, I've um, done that for quite a few you know, years now. And I this is it's interesting for Notre Dame's pass defense because I can't remember what the sort of win lose record was for Notre Dame's pass defense versus the average. But I would I just sort of look through Notre Dame's how many how many good quarterbacks has Notre Dame actually played this Not year? Not very many. You know, I two, right? We you know, Bryce Perkins and Keaton Slovis. And Jake Fra- Jake Fromm, obviously. Who and what happened in all three and of those? Shea, and Shea Patterson, that was the start of Shea Patterson playing yeah. better. But it's I, like I, I gotcha. statistically I sort of throw that one out yeah. for the conditions. I, but, yeah, I agree. You know, Bryce Perkins held the ball way too long. Terrible offensive line. Notre Dame destroyed him, but he put up huge numbers when he could throw it. Keaton Slovis, I would I would argue <laughs> Well into the offseason, if there was a fifth quarter in Notre Dame USC, USC would have won yeah, the I game. Agree. And then Jake Fromm was what, like 24, 26 or something? I mean, he, I thought he, while he's, he is not an extravagant quarterback, yeah. he was excellent within that game plan and made two incredible throws. So I'm just, my point is more, I think Notre Dame secondary is good. Do we sort of overrate their pass defense as a top 10 unit nationally? I think that's probably also true. Um, you know, and that. I know you feel strongly about the over-under in this game. That that matchup, to me, is trending more towards the over, um, that Iowa State will actually have some offensive success against Notre Dame, um, just because I, I think Notre Dame's secondary and pass defense is good. But I think if you have a, a we're-going-to-throw-it type of pass game, you'll put up some big numbers on yeah, it. Yeah, Troy Pride, he doesn't make plays. Yeah, He doesn't make plays, and this is a good enough receiving core to give them trouble. I I, I agree with what you're saying about the level of quarterback that Notre Dame has played statistically. You know, and again, you know, you know when I do uh, like like mathematical type stories. Yes, I call them mathematical because <laughs> they're not. You know, it's not cutting edge yes, math it's for numbers. me. Numbers. Yes, it's it's numbers. Uh, but Notre Dame's past defense. I took ten games. You throw out the right the New Mexico the, Bowling Green, right? And the way you throw out two for Iowa State. Notre Dame's past defense was six wins, one loss, three ties. And Iowa State's pass offense was eight wins, zero losses, and two ties. Yeah, I mean that just does that not lead you to believe that you know Brock Purdy is he may throw two interceptions and Notre Dame will win the game that way, but I think that. They're gonna they're gonna be happy to play into Notre Dame's bend but don't break style of yeah. offense and and that I guess it's maybe the the biggest point here is like if you're watching the game it's going to drive you insane when Brock Purdy is like God he threw for like 200 yards right. in the first half that might happen um, that's not going to determine the outcome of the game but I think that matchup that matchup to me is. Maybe a little bit more in Iowa State's favor than the perception around Notre Dame fandom would. Well, and it's 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 probably going to seem extreme because Notre Dame's giving up 170, yeah, 168 passing yards per game, and Purdy's that'd be a halftime number. Yeah, I mean Purdy's low for the year is uh, the the last game when he threw for 185 yards. No, that's not right. When he threw for yeah, 185 yards. It was just 15 of 30. He's going to be well into 200 yards, which is going to look like Notre Dame's defense is getting riddled based upon mm-hmm. what we've seen over the previous 12 games. And I think you make an excellent point about the level of play um, 
of the quarterbacks that Notre Dame has faced. So it's a tough matchup. I know we're, I know we're painting a picture here like Notre Dame's going to lose. And I and I don't. They just they have to play well. I've we've been saying this in podcasts for weeks now. They have to be prepared to play, and it I'd it's that, not been a good week. Yeah, the difference about that discussion to me is like I'm not so sure they are prepared to play well, and and that was something that I just assumed would have happened. Um, that based on their other postseason performances uh, against teams where they have more talent, they've played well. Um, you know, against very good teams, you know, I'm, I guess it's like Florida state here. Do they necessarily play all that well? No, offensively, defensively, they were fine. Um, LSU, LSU, um, you know, Miami, they obviously destroyed them. And I mean, maybe some of it is relying on the fact that Notre Dame as a program right now probably thinks more of itself than it did the last time they played in Orlando or, or the previous time they played in Orlando that like there is kind of, I wonder if they like, you know, we're kind of too good for this now. Like that. And look, that's, that's not a bad thing for Notre Dame to to actually take a a season where you absolutely human nature to do that. Absolutely. And I I think, I think initially when it's like, okay, are all the, are all the guys going to choose to play in this game and Kareem and Claypool, I mean, I don't, there was really no doubt. Kareem actually came out and said there was absolutely no doubt that it was good enough for Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey. It's good enough for him. So that was the initial feeling that, okay, well, if those guys are going to play, they're going to be ready to play. But <laughs> we'll we'll find out. I, I don't. We're, we're beating a dead horse here. I did have questions that people had asked, but I think we've kind of um, kind of hit on most of them in what we've talked about already. Uh, Terry Benedict asked about the. Um, Notre Dame lost its last bowl game when a DB was not playing, referencing Julian Love. Convinced me that that won't happen again if something were to happen to Troy Pride or... I, I can't. Mean, no, you can't. You've got more leeway at safety because you have Kyle Hamilton as your third safety. But, you know, and, and a healthy Sean Crawford <clears throat> certainly helps Notre Dame in this game. Um but Tariq Bracy has been kind of hit and miss. When he's when he hits, he's pretty good. When he misses, he's not. So yeah. I mean, I feel confident that Tariq Bracy will play well. But <clears throat> you know, it's but certainly better than what we saw in the Cotton Bowl last year. But there's no Justin Ross or T Higgins running around there out either. It's a little, little bit easier to play well against Iowa State. Um, but it, they're I don't know. It, I think that their secondary can certainly withstand an injury more, better than they did last year. Most of that probably has to do with the opponent uh, more than the personnel. I, I, Tariq Bracey is kind of one of those guys that I think should have played more this season than he did. Um, I, I agree. I like when when he's been sort of thrown out there, I think he's played well. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. It's um, Notre Dame is, certainly has, you know, if, if they lost another offensive lineman, that would probably be my, even though we've talked about Iowa State's defensive front not being uh, world leaders, Notre Dame is probably one offensive lineman injury away from being in some real trouble. I think the two guys that Notre Dame has to be most aware of in the passing game are Tariq Milton, I believe he's number one, and Charlie Kohler, their tight end, number 88, I believe. I should have this right in front of me, and I don't. Deshante Jones leads them in receptions with 72, uh, but he only has two touchdowns with 72 receptions. Charlie Kohler, the tight end, with 48 catches and seven touchdowns, and Sean Shaw, Jr., 
who's a six foot six freshman, has 14 catches, five of which have gone for touchdowns. So, you know, across the board, they, they have guys that have made plays. I guess when you throw it as much as they do, I, it's going to be easy for me to present a list of names of guys with stats because Purdy threw for almost 3,800 yards. One of the questions asked of us was to compare Book and Purdy, and we kind of addressed that already. But it's very similar. They really I mean, they're similar book, in book size. Is, book is a better athlete. Um, Book's a better runner per se, but yeah. Purdy is is definitely a resourceful runner. He'll take off on third down and show just enough elusiveness in in the open field to get the first down. He's a good decision maker on read options, um, so he can hurt you with his feet. Not as much as Book can. My concern is. Uh, that because they drop eight, they've got somebody ready for for Ian Book if he decides to take off and run, which is a big part of Nordheim's offense in November. Yeah, they had sort of relied on you not spying him. Um, you know, so that's how does Reese figure out a changeup for that? Um, how you know when you spy somebody, you're taking somebody out of coverage, right? I mean, that's yeah. You know, I think that sort of gets lost in the in the spy not spy but they, conversation. But they, but they can afford to. Because yeah. they're dropping eight. Yeah, because you're not can, sure who the spy is automatically. Right, you can afford to yeah, take one point. or two linebackers out of that and still have six guys in coverage. Yeah, and it's, look, it, I think Chip Long had some good beaters for drop eight. I mean, I think a lot of the times when we were like, oh, what a play call. Uh, think of Syracuse in particular where they sort of, Tony Jones will like dart to the right and then cut back in and suddenly two blockers are already downfield because he's catching it behind the line of scrimmage. Like, how do you beat that? Um you have to be creative with a play call. I would expect them to have a lot of good drop eight stuff. They is, better. I know it's just the Camping World Bowl and it's just Iowa State, but there is a ton of pressure on Tom Reese. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this is there's a lot on the line for him um, as a play caller, the, including his future. Yeah. In, uh, Whether next year. Yeah. Maybe he'll be the quarterbacks coach in 2020. Maybe he'll be the offensive coordinator. I don't really know. Um, Do you think Kelly? This is one of the questions. Do you think Kelly's already made up his mind on that? I think he's made up his mind on Jeff Quinn. That he will return, Yes, correct? Um, As the offensive line coach. Yes. I think that I think that he has, this is just my opinion. I don't have any like inside information on this. I think Brian Kelly knows what he wants to do at offense court next year, and I think he wants to hire somebody who's experienced as an offense coordinator and then have Reese be co-OC. That's what I would do if I was him. And if he does name Reese, I think he'll be co-OC with Lance Taylor. Uh, no, I'm I'm saying I know, no, I know yeah, you're saying okay. that, but, but if, you're, you think, but if he stays in house, I think those two will be co coordinators. Yes, I just don't think he'll stay in house. I, I think there's there's too much on the line for Notre Dame as a football program to just stay in house with this one. Because if he stayed in house, then what? I mean, you're going to go hire Mike Denbrock back. Like, I don't think you're going to be able to get a top guy to come in who can just kill it in recruiting. Um, who can bring something to you philosophically on offense. Because, look, I I think Chip Long did a really good job over his three years. That doesn't get past the fact that against Georgia, Georgia, Michigan, really Michigan twice, um, Clemson, Miami, when they struggled, they really struggled against top opponents. Now, I, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that Notre Dame's talent deficiencies were – Chip Long probably did a good job masking some of those sometimes. But they they need... Especially this year. Yeah, they need somebody who is going to be a dogged recruiter um, like Chip Long. And I think they need, they need some kind of system to to marry what Brian Kelly and Tom Reese want to do. they got to have some new ideas offensively. And I don't, 
I think just promoting from within is not a new idea move. They got to have something <clears throat> fresh come in, whoever I, they hire. I don't think you can both choose Tom Reese as the coordinator and keep Jeff Quinn as the offensive line coach. Hmm. I as the full coordinator, you mean? Yes. Okay. I you're I wow. I think that that's. I I think you're dipping back to pre twenty, pre post twenty sixteen. Yeah, if you do that, you're uh, the champ sports bowl offense that Norton was running in exactly. 2011. Yeah, exactly. that, that I, I would be surprised if Brian Kelly did that. It would be pretty. It, it would cast a very pessimistic view of where Notre's offense is going to go, and they can't they can't go there. And and for those that have like, you know, I, I accused Irish Illustrated of of just in love with Chip Long and everything he does, and he's a genius. <laughs> we, I know I felt that the Denbrock change after 2016 was necessary. Did you feel the same way? I thought they would have maybe found a way to keep Denbrock on staff. Okay, but as far as play caller and correct coordinator, they need that, and that's where I get back. To, like you need some fresh ideas in your playbook, and I'm not sure an internal hire gets you those fresh I, ideas. I, I I think the for me the ideal situation is hire a new offensive coordinator who like has a very clear view of what he wants to do, how he wants to adjust. This is what I call when they run this, this is what I do. This is my counter. And my counter to the counter and the counter to the counter to the counter. Reese is is not there, nor he should be, because he's never called plays. (laughs) Um, I would want Tom Reese on my staff. I would want a new offensive coordinator. uh, And I would have Reese be my co-OC. I like it. to To whoever I bring in who's established. It doesn't need to be... A big name because I think you know the Kelly era. Who are the or the last eleven years? Who are the or fifteen years? The biggest name coordinator hires have been Van Gorder and Tenuta. They've been disasters. <laughs> Just give me somebody with a clear understanding of this is the offense I want to run. This is how I accomplish what I do. And Reese, I want you. I you got to have a good working relationship with this guy because you guys are going to be really really close. Uh, and that's good. And it, it prepares Tom Reese for you know. I'm not sure that. If he's just co-coordinator, then there's a lead coordinator. I'm not sure that Tommy Reese ever becomes coordinator under Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly's time in Norday may run out. Possible. Uh, and Tom Reese may go somewhere else and be a coordinator first. But long-term, long, long-term, and speaking of retiring, I'll probably be retired by then too. But um, I, think Tommy, I think Tommy Reese has a chance to be a very good offensive coordinator long-term. He had the, he had the head for it as a player. And I have no reason to believe that he won't be a good offensive coordinator. But I agree with you. I think the scenario you painted, bringing another guy in and making him co-coordinator is the ideal route to go. A couple of things that uh, we were asked. Uh, if Norton wins the game, who's the MVP? I'll give you three choices and you can make a fourth <laughs> beyond that. Book, Claypool, or Lindsay, or somebody else? Um, it'll be Book, I would think. I would think so, too. Yeah, so book book's the choice there. It's, I don't think you're going to get much of an odds payout on that either. <laughs> <laughs> yep, uh, Cole Komet projected as a second rounder. What would you recommend him to do? I think now, he'll. I think he'll leave. I think he will too. Now I want to insert here Dan Shanka, who's our new uh, NFL draft guy from our lads. Felt that there is no tight end drafted in the first round this year, even if Cole Komet makes himself available. Would that influence Cole Komet's decision? He's he would be the projected number one tight end chosen because the guy from Penn State chose to come back. Right, Pinkney from Vanderbilt was was not 
accentuated nearly as much because they lost their quarterback. But say you're the number one tight end chosen, but you're not a first-round draft choice. What do you do if you're Cole Komet? Uh, I, w- I mean, I would leave. I, I think that my hunch is that this will be his last game at Notre Dame. Um, you know, I know he said that he was going to come back when I asked him about it in early November, um, but stuff changes. He got a second-round grade. Tight ends rarely go in the first round. I mean, how rare would it be for a tight end to get a first-round grade? Um, that almost never occurs. I don't think yeah. Kyle Rudolph got a first-round grade. Yeah. And ultimately, he did go in the second round. Now, his brother's at Notre Dame. His brother's a baseball player. Yeah, he, he said he wanted to pitch. Does he, does he keep his options open by pitching at Notre Dame this spring and then come he could do that and then not yeah and I don't have a good sense of not necessarily come back in the fall to play football that's possible um I would think if I was an NFL team drafting him in the second round or the first I'd be like uh, one or the other hey chief we need you all in with us one or the other um so I don't don't know how that will shake out but um unfortunately for Notre Dame's offense next year I think they're gonna be replacing number 84 we had a question about where Reese would be calling plays from. It will it will be the press box. Uh, we had a question about nor because I uh, frankly it's my fault that I haven't written enough about Iowa State's defensive line. I don't I don't think I mean I did in a Priester, film you're just review. not taking this game seriously. I'm just not. I haven't. Your lack of preparation. I mean, I I said it was a nondescript defensive line in the in the film review, but I'm glad that the question was asked, uh, which is why we brought it up early on that. We think Notre Dame has a significant advantage there. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, young players that have shown improvement since the end of the season. We were kind of laughing about that because they played most of their young Hard players. Hard to say. I mean, Ru- I, I Rutherford, have... Rutherford at corner is a name that has been thrown our way as somebody that has has impressed at, at times this season. I asked Alohi Gilman that question about the secondary on Thursday morning. <clears throat> he mentioned Houston Griffith and DJ Brown. And then I he mentioned Kyle Hamilton, but he's not a young player. Yeah. And then I sort of had to pull KJ Wallace and Isaiah Rutherford out of him. And he's like, yeah, they're they're fine too. Um, so I, I'm not really sure anybody has really stunned um, KJ Wallace at time. KJ Wallace at times because in September he was in the mix or at least on the fringe of being in the mix. Yeah, I just don't. This this season has been strange in that like not a ton of young players have played prominent roles other than Hamilton, Lacey, uh, and then special teams. But I don't think there are a lot who there are even fewer in some ways that are like in these backup roles that they right. could make a right. move. Um, <laughs> like Kendall Abdurrahman is not is not close to seeing the field right now, and th- this month wasn't really going to change that. We were asked if we would be shocked if Notre Dame laid an egg. I think from what we've said that we would not be shocked at that. Um, as far as the college football playoffs, which will be occurring later in the day on Saturday, who do you have? Uh, I like LSU by a ton. Um, I think that they're going to blow Oklahoma off the field, and then um, – I'll go. I'll that, sec- go. that second that second game is a. I cannot I mean, wait but to on, watch on, on paper, it's a classic. I I'm just going to go with Dabo Swinney over Ryan Day, guy who's been there versus guy who hasn't. Yeah, I get that. I I get that. I'm I'm going to take Ohio State. I mean, I get that, but I'm just going to take Ohio okay. State. No argument. I, well, I mean, I, I I know this is kind of an outdated thought, but when I, I I'm still looking at what Clemson lost last year, and are they ready to go? 
play in the national championship game. I, I just I think it's a tremendous matchup. I am so looking forward to it. I am since I have a six a.m. flight the next day. I'm going to try my best <laughs> to get all of my work done on Saturday, but that's going to be difficult because it's you know I've got three stories to yeah. write, so that's going to be difficult to do. But I, I I will certainly have it on if I'm still working because I think it's fascinating. Last thing we'll touch upon because I think we've hit just about everything as it relates to the Camping World Bowl. Uh, your best and worst bowl experiences oh man um best pretty much anything in arizona would be a best um that's the best media accommodation um the best that i've been treated for a bowl uh so the camelback in oh uh, i am all for awesome. every trip to the fiesta bowl or even i think the insight bowl in uh, 2004 was also fine because they had the same media accommodations worst I mean, El Paso was pretty bad. Um, the weather, like the people were nice. However, the weather was terrible. Uh, it was snowing and the heat in the press box was, was kind of like on and off. Um, <laughs> that was like comically bad. Um, but I would I would have to put pinstripe number one for the worst. It's an outdoor press box at the end of December. And then our media shuttle got in an accident <laughs> driving back to the media hotel after the game. So that would be... That would be my number one as far as worst bowl experience. I don't, I don't think I'm missing anything in there. Um, just like I'm overlooking a, a good or bad bowl game, but uh, I mean, also you know, the Sugar Bowl was great in 2006. The game was was yeah, pretty bad, it good. but I that trip to New Orleans was fantastic. Uh, okay, you gonna rank see. all 37? No, bowl games I've got. I've been to almost. Covered. I've been to 27 of them or so. Uh, Boston College in Memphis, it was an ice storm. That was the Liberty Bowl in 83. The Independence Bowl, and you want to talk about, that was a rematch against LSU, and then would, there was a snowstorm. I would decline to cover that game. And that, and that uh, I mean, it's in Shreveport, so you had, the, you had the casinos, but there was no heat in the press box there either, and so that was tragic. Uh, back in the, when, when Lou Holtz started taking teams to the Cotton Bowl, they went to a bunch in a short period of time. Those were those were pretty great, but that was a time when I mean they had press conferences all week, and you had access, and you were at practice, and it was it was spectacular. You're just not afforded those things anymore. Notre Dame, Alabama, in Miami was the the buildup was tremendous. The game was awful. That was uh, I felt like that was the hardest I've worked for a game before. Just like you felt like you had to be on top of everything all the time and doing like huge stories. Like I mean, we were all at Irish Illustrated at that point. I just yeah. I was so tired when that game yeah. started. That that was rare. I mean, Pinstripe Bowl being in New York is exhilarating, but <laughs> but any other month of the year when you can go inside, yeah, I love New I York. I mean, the the weather was was terrible and made it hard, and the opponent was Rutgers, and so there been you know I could go on, but I'm not going to. Yeah, we're gonna. <laughs> We're going to end it at that because you're right. I could rank 27 or 28 of them. But, hey, uh, uh, just next year, prepare yourselves. Holiday Bowl in San Diego. Is now in is play now, for the now, ACC. It's now an ACC Bowl. And you would think that if Notre Dame is 9-3 and three or they're 10-2 and two and don't make the New Year's Six, Holiday Bowl uh, is not the worst thing in the world. Against a, pack, against a Pac-12 opponent. So you could, like, if Notre Dame was, like, if Notre Dame was playing Oregon on Saturday, I think the complaints in about... In San Diego... Or here, uh, anywhere. You know, I just think the complaints about the game Notre Dame was playing in would be much, yeah. much lower. Okay, Tim O'Malley uh, has a thirty-one to twenty prediction. 
in favor of Notre Dame. His write-up will be a part of everything we do on Friday, as will mine. Pete, what do you have? Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Iowa State. Um, Notre Dame will probably make me look ridiculous, but um, I don't. Just the the lead up to this game has been strange to me. Um, you know, every year we see bowl teams that either don't want to look like don't look like they want to be there, or they've had some coaching changes, or guys are sitting out. Notre Dame doesn't have the sitting out stuff, but they've had coaching changes, and I think that there's a do we really want to be here element to it. I could be reading way too much into that, but I'll go um, I'll go Iowa State thirty Notre Dame twenty seven. When I left South Bend, I had no intention of thinking about picking Iowa State. Even Me though, neither. Even though I, 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 I was, I was looking at a, at a. I'm still looking at a close, low scoring game, closer, low scoring game. Iowa State in the points. That's what I feel comfortable. About. Yeah, but see, that's only three and a half. Yeah, I, I mean, I get it. I get where you're coming from there, and I, I think ultimately I'm still going to rely upon the team that is better physically and that they'll pull it all together by Saturday, but. Uh, the signs from here, and that's all That's all we're saying. The signs from here have not been very positive for I, Notre Dame. I don't know what I predicted in the 2014 Music City Bowl, but I can assure you that it was LSU by 14 points or more. Um, bowl games are, yeah. I think, impossible no. to predict when the stakes are where they are. Like I felt certain that Clemson was going to beat Notre Dame last year. Um, not by that margin, but yeah, that wasn't how I saw it. I think like, we all felt you know, like they I thought win, that but... Notre Dame would lose to Ohio State in 2015. Yeah, um, you know, in this in this game, I felt certain that Notre Dame would would play well and win. And I kind of like you being here today. It's just that opinion is is starting to shift a little bit, and it it's a it's a lot less comfortable of a game for Notre Dame than I thought it was going to be. We had said that our next podcast would be Monday, December 30th, but we've all agreed uh, the three of us will be Saturday. doing a podcast at some point. See, again, we will not, have the playoff on mute. Yeah, <laughs> and another reason why I'm not going to be able to, 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 to watch that, certainly the second, the first game, there'll be no chance. The second game, because of all the things that we're trying to do. So we'll do that Saturday, uh, late afternoon, early evening. And we'll skip the Monday, December 30th. And we appreciate you for joining us for this podcast. Everybody have a uh, hopefully an enjoyable Notre Dame game on Saturday and a, a safe and happy New Year's Eve. God bless everybody. Indiana Dunes Tourism, located between Chicago and South Bend in northwest Indiana, is a proud supporter of Irish Illustrated. Extend your Notre Dame visit with a trip to the nation's newest national park. Visit indianadunes.com.